John chapter 10, it says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd, Jesus is speaking. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I'm known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Another sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command or authority I have received from my father. And therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And of course, we know the answer is no. And so really, again, just remembering, not forgetting the whole context of the Gospel of John is these things are written that you might believe, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And I know for most of you here, you're already Christians, you're already saved, you already know the Lord. But just in case there's someone here who's straddling the fence, like we're reading about right here, maybe there's someone here who's divided. Right here, we're reading this, Jesus is saying so just amazing things about who we are, who he is, who we are in this relationship with him, so that we can have life and that more abundantly victorious Christian life as a man of God, as a woman of God, as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as whoever it is, as a servant of God. This right here is written so that we can have that kind of life, you guys. And so here we see Jesus revealing, when we're going through it, we're going to continue to study through it as we go through the chapter. He's not done yet that we're sheep and that he is our shepherd. And if you read Psalm 25 and 24 and 23, it's interesting when you read the different Psalms, how it presents Jesus as the great shepherd, Jesus as the chief shepherd, Jesus as the good shepherd. And here we read about Jesus being the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. Now, as we've gone through the Gospel of John, this is the fourth of the seven I am statements. You might remember in John chapter 6, he said, I'm the bread of life. In John chapter 8 and 9, he said, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, he said, I'm the door. And here in John chapter 10, we read that he is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. Unlike any other shepherd that they'd ever had. Now remember, you also got to keep it in context because in John chapter 9, that was when the religious leaders, these guys who said they're representatives of God, and they're not. And remember that. Not everyone who's a pastor or a priest or has a title or a position is necessarily of the Lord. A lot of those guys are only there because of the money. So these guys were there for all the wrong reasons. They wanted the power. They wanted the prestige. Somehow they ended up there. They were planted there by the devil. They were there misrepresenting God. And so you guys may remember the whole thing with the blind man. Jesus healed the blind man. These guys got upset with Jesus because he healed the blind man on the Sabbath. 
day. And so they kicked them out of the synagogue, they kicked them out of the temple, they kicked them out of what in those days would basically be a relationship with God. And so Jesus here, he deals with, in that context, he's dealing with it. And he's just trying to encourage, I think, everybody listening, but especially the blind man, listen, those guys, they're not really of God. Here we see the Lord is saying, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd, he gives his life for the sheep. You know, the religious leaders cared nothing for the people. They led, but Jesus summarized his service as living and giving his life for the sheep. You know, contrast that with a hireling. And we're going to see right here in verse 12, it's a clear reference to the religious leaders of the day who are only in the ministry for the money. Look what it says there again in verse 12. It says, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves. Um, He runs, he abandons, he splits, he quits. He used to be a part of the church. He used to be involved in the church. He used to be, you know, so caring for people, but now he ain't there. He he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf, what does he do? He attacks the flock. He catches the sheep and he scatters them. The Lord is saying that's what happens in some churches. That's what happens in some ministries. Imagine that. The very calling of a shepherd is to tend and to watch over the flock, to protect the sheep. But these guys, they they say they're shepherds. They say they're called. They say that it's the Lord who's moving their life. But they're exposed here as hirelings. They're, They're cowards. You know, when they see the wolf coming, they quit and abandon the sheep who then suffer because of that. They're devoured, and then so many who see all this happen are scattered because of that. They're they're hirelings. You know, when you're involved in the ministry, when you have uh, this whole thing about serving God, it's a calling upon your life. Think about that. It's a calling upon our lives that we can't run from. It's a calling from God. But these guys, it wasn't about a calling. It was about the cash. It wasn't about the ministry. It was about the money. It wasn't about serving. It was about stuff. And the Lord says, and when that happens, when push comes to shove, when you have to make a choice, because no one can serve God and mammon, when you have to make a choice, you will choose your idol. And that's what they did when it got dangerous. And the dictionary defines a hireling as a person who works purely for reward, purely for material reward. You know, we see it spoken of in Mark chapter 1, verse 20, the hired servants here in John chapter 10. It It refers to one who really has no interest in his duty, one who is unfaithful in the discharge of their God given responsibility. Now, obviously, here Jesus is saying that a hireling is not a shepherd. He abandons the sheep, think about it, to vicious, devouring, and ravenous wolves. And there are some people out there who, unfortunately, tragically, are actually like that. And so what ends up happening, and see in verse 12, that the wolf then catches the sheep, and then uh, they're scattered. Now, it's interesting. You guys, I don't know if you knew this or not. The Greek word translated catches is the Greek word harpazo, where we get our word rapture from. And so it means to suddenly snatch away violently. And that's what happens when spiritual leaders are unfaithful. That's what happens when we're in it 
for the wrong reasons. That's what happens when we do not lay down our life. Now, of course, this right here is speaking primarily of Jesus. And I want to make sure that I don't ever, ever distract from that message because this is who Jesus is. But the interesting thing is the word good, the good shepherd. Some Greek scholars will translate that word model. Jesus is the model shepherd. In one sense, uh, we know this, he is the model of the ministry. All other pastors, all other under-shepherds should be like him. My prayer, though, is for us today as sheep, that we would know who we are. This is our shepherd. And we're going to see seven things as we go through it that I hope comfort you, you know, because life is hard, huh? Have you guys discovered that? What's God going to do in your life? Where are you going to end up? Maybe you'll end up as the president of the United States. Maybe you'll end up as a movie star in Hollywood. Maybe you're going to end up you know, as a teacher or a musician. I don't know what God has for you, but whatever the path is, you've got to follow your shepherd. It's as simple as that. I always tell young guys, how are you going to provide for your family? How are you going to make it in society? How are you going to find love, joy, peace, fulfillment, satisfaction? How will you get any of that? And the answer is so simple. Just follow your shepherd. Just follow him. It is this personal, intimate, wonderful, beautiful relationship that we have in which he leads us beside the still waters and he makes us to lie down in green pastures. He gives me goodness all the days of my life. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's how good God is and that's how good your life will be when you follow Jesus Christ. And that's what we're seeing here. It's so beautiful. You know, when you think of uh, a shepherd like this, I, I was thinking of David. You know, David was a shepherd like that. And you guys might remember, he went out. Imagine if you're a shepherd, okay? Imagine if you're a shepherd and a lion comes in to get the sheep. How many of you here would run the other way? I'm just curious. A lion? A lion? How about a bear? Well, when the lion and the bear came to get the sheep, David went after the lion. David went after the bear. And it's so cool when you read the scriptures. He says, and I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. I mean, imagine grabbing a a bear by the beard. I mean, this is, but that's the kind of heart that David had. That's why when you read the scriptures, David is a picture of Jesus. And it says in Psalm 78, 70 and 72 that he chose David, his servant, took him from the sheepholds from following the ewes that had young, and that's interesting. Can you picture David following the sheep, following the ones that were pregnant, following the ones that were weak? Can you picture that? Here he is caring so much for them that that he followed them. He went after them. Imagine that kind of shepherd. He took him from following the sheep and he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he, David, shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. And so it's speaking of Jesus, it really is, but it's also a challenge for all of us who long to be like Jesus. You know, we got to fight these demons. We can't abandon our responsibilities because if we do, then the wolf comes in and it's not, you know, necessarily a literal wolf. We're talking demons. Demons come in, they catch the sheep, and it does damage to the entire flock. And so it's so important for us to understand these things. These, these hirelings, they, they flee because they just don't really care. That's what we read here. Again, I want to start in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd, he gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and, and leaves. The sheep flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. You know, the, the, at the end of the day, the problem with these guys is they just don't really care about people. They don't really care about their brothers and sisters in church. They don't really care. You know how beautiful it is when you find people who truly care about all people. Now, the other problem is sometimes you get people and they can't be shepherds. You want to know why? Because they only care about those that they like. If someone rubs them the wrong way, oh, I'm done with them. You know, and wait a minute, time out. When you're a shepherd, these are your, this is your, your flock, these are your family, this is your church, these are your friends, this is whatever it is. You have to truly care about all people. You know, Paul the Apostle spoke about this in Philippians 2. In verse 19 through 23, he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Remember, Paul was in prison. He's writing this, and he's saying to the Philippians, Hey, I, I know God is going to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. In other words, he wanted Timothy to go to the Philippians Find out how they're doing so that they can come out and give him a report. Find out how the church is doing. How are you guys doing? For I have no one, he said, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. You see, it's saying, I don't have anyone else who cares the way that Timothy does because that's how I care. I care for the people. He cares for the people because Jesus cares for the people. This is what shepherds do. This is what Christ is for us. But you know, he says, his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes well with me. You know, that's the thing. You know, you just want to find people and especially as a, as a leader and a pastor and stuff. You want to find people who care about people. huh? And that's what we see here. The Greek word translated care is an interesting word. It speaks especially of the forethought. And interest. See, when, you're, uh, when you have this heart, like Jesus has this heart, it's such a beautiful heart, the forethought, like what, you don't have, you're not just a reactor. You're not just like, well, okay, well, if they do this, then I'll do that. No, you're already thinking ahead of time. Well, this is how I want to, I'm interested in their welfare. And so you're just, that's what it is. That's the way it is when you care for people. And, and so for me, I don't want to take away from this text what God is just saying in one sense is that I'm not like these hirelings. I'm not like these Pharisees. I'm not like these guys over here in Jerusalem. Listen, I love you. I'm your good shepherd. I will never leave you. I will never, ever, ever leave you. Never, no matter what you go through, Jesus said, I will never leave you. I care for you. That's what he's saying. I'm not like them. I really do care. You know, and for us as a church, that's why it's so important that our job is primarily to point you to Jesus. Some people will point you to politics. Some people will point you to all these other things. And next thing you know, you got your head spinning. You're looking all over the place. You're going crazy. You're going crazy. Our job is to point you to Jesus because we love you and care for you. We want you to go to heaven. We want you to experience life abundantly. And we know that the only way you're ever going to have peace 
is if you know the Lord, if you know Jesus and you have this personal intimate relationship with him because he is the one who not only cares for you, did you know this? He's the only one who can care for you. Did you know that? Every man, every single man or woman in this world cannot, they can't meet your expectations because we're just men. It's important for people to understand that. You know, sometimes people don't realize how much Jesus cares. I don't know if you guys remember the story in the Gospel of Mark chapter 4. Remember when they got into the crazy storm? You guys might remember. And so, you know, the Lord was actually in the boat with them. And do you guys remember what the Lord was doing? He was sleeping. Now, I, I think, man, Lord, how did you sleep during a storm? What's the answer to that? Homeboy was tired. He was really, really tired. I mean, you ever, I mean, sometimes you're so tired you can sleep through anything, huh? And so he was exhausted. I mean, I'm thinking again. I'm speculating here, but maybe he had, you know, stayed up all night praying. I mean, just exhausted. You know, dealing with demons. I mean, I can just imagine how tired he was. He's in the boat, and you know, they're they're fighting the storm, and the water's getting in the boat, and it almost feels like they're sinking. And you guys remember what they told Jesus? It says in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And to me, that's like the lie that the enemy will tell us. I mean, you're going through whatever it is that you're going through, and it's almost like you feel like, well, God doesn't see me. Isaiah chapter 40, my way is hidden from the Lord. He does not see what I'm going through. He does not see what my children are going through. He does not see my situation, my finances, my body, whatever it is, things going on at work. Don't you care? What a question to ask Jesus. Of course he does. Then, then what are they supposed to do? This is what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to say, hey, Lord, you know, I know you're sleeping. I understand you're pretty tired, but it's worth thinking. Lord, do you think you could help us? You know, it's just something simple as that. That's all they had to do. They didn't have to freak out. They didn't have to question his love or his care. All you have to do is, is trust, obey, pray. You're going to be okay. See, but a lot of times the enemy will come in and say, oh, they, they don't care. I remember that one time when, when Martha was serving and she was distracted and Mary was over there just sitting at Jesus' feet, taking in the word. And it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, that Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care? Do you not care that she, my sister has left me to make all the flour tortillas alone and therefore, Lord, tell her to help me? Of course he cares. You just serve the Lord. Don't be distracted. Don't worry about the person to the right or the left. He cares. He's not like these hirelings. Our good shepherd, let me share a few things. Number one, he, 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 he gives his life. And, and in one sense, I was thinking about it this way. Because I called it the title of the study, The Good, Good Shepherd. So you're like, well, why, Manny, why call it the good, good shepherd? He's just calling himself the good shepherd. And it's just because the way that I, I, I think sometimes, because not only did Jesus uh, die for us, Jesus lives for us. Jesus lived for us. He died for us and he lives for us. Did you know the Bible says in Hebrews 7.25 that he ever lives to make intercession for the saints? 
So he was born on this earth to live for us and then to die for us and then to live for us. It's amazing. Some of you moms, you know what I'm talking about. When you have a child, in one sense, your whole life is for your child. You live for them. Well, that's what Jesus does. Number one, he he lives for us. Number two, he stays with us through the, the good times, the bad times, some of you guys, you know how it is. I mean, we, we think that, you know, God's going to abandon me because I failed him so bad. And here the Lord is caring and calling and going after us and praying for us. I mean, it's amazing. He lives for us. He stays with us. He protects us when the demons come, when the wolves come. He will not abandon you. He will fight for you. He will protect you. He cares for us. Think about that. And then number five, he knows us. Now, this is the one that trips me out because he loves me even though he knows me. But Jesus is in it, not to get like some people, but just to give. Not for dollars, but for deliverance. The shepherd loves us. He lives and gives his life for us, for you. He, and he not only cares about the sheep, he, he knows the sheep. And, and so we read it in verse 14. Notice he gets, what he says, I am the, the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. Something you've heard from us a million times, huh? That this is not a religion, it's a relationship. And in that relationship, we have fellowship with God. When we believe in Christ, we become Christians. And not only does Jesus know us, but it's so cool how we read that we know him. He says, I know my sheep and am known by my own. And you would see that if you were to go to Israel today. You would see that with the shepherds. You would see that in their relationship with the sheep. And this is, you know, kind of like us in one sense. Any of you guys have a pet that you just love? I'm just curious, you know. And it's like, it's like that, but, you know, probably infinitely more. But you know what I'm talking about. God has this relationship with us because he's a good shepherd. You know, in, 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 when we look at this, um, it's, I've always kind of thought about that, that bumper sticker. It says, no Jesus, no peace. But no Jesus, K-N-O-W, and what do you know? Peace, right? And this is what we see here. The Lord knows us, and when we believe in him, we enter into this relationship with him. Now, the Greek word is similar to the Spanish word, conozco. You guys know the word conozco, right? And the Greek word is gnosko. And what it literally means, because there's different words, uh, Greek words for the English word know, this is why the Bible was written in Greek, because it can get very specific. It means to know through personal experience. To know by personal relationship. You know, some people, they know only of Jesus. Uh, They know about his existence. They know about his influence. Maybe they've read about him. Maybe they've even read the red letters that he has spoken, but it doesn't necessarily mean they know him personally or experientially, right? Some of the people, and you know, you guys know it just as well as I do. I'm not telling you to stop coming to church or anything, but there's a lot of people, they come to church, they don't really know Jesus. You can tell because there's no fruit in their life. That's okay. Keep loving on them. Keep praying for them. I'm not saying stop coming to church, but hopefully the day comes where you give him your heart, where you let go of the sin and you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Only God can do that, but you have to let him. 
But we're talking about those of you here, and you know what I'm talking about. You really know the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, you won't go to heaven. Now, some people say, well, I go to church, and I know the Bible, and I evangelize, but is there any fruit in your life? Where's the fruit? Listen, the, the security of knowing that I'm going to go to heaven is not because I prayed the prayer, not because I gave the, the donation. Not because I went forward one day. It's because there's a radical, there's been a change in your life. To really know the Lord is talking about this personal experience that we have with him. Do you hear his voice? Do you hear the voice of Jesus? I mean, do you talk to him? Do you walk with him? Do you have this personal relationship with him? It has to be a knowledge through experience. As a matter of fact, Kenneth Weiss, the Greek scholar, he said, he put it this way, I alone am the shepherd, the good one, and I know by experience those who are mine, and those that are mine know me by experience. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Kind of like, you know, you guys probably think that you know whoever it is, who's your, your favorite actor or actress because you've watched all their movies, or maybe you read their books. You don't really know them. We don't. You know, but like me and my wife, I, I thank God for my wife. I've known her for 36 years. You know, we get to hang out a lot. We live together, you know. I mean, I know her, and she knows me, and she still loves me. This is the kind of relationship that we have with Jesus. This knowledge is so significant that it's synonymous with salvation. And we're going to see later in John chapter 17 and verse 3, Jesus prayed, and this is eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's salvation. It's so important that you know the Lord because one day some people are going to stand before Jesus and they're going to be sorry because they didn't know him. The Lord says in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me, think about that, many will say to Jesus in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And that, that's the crazy thing. And that's one thing that I'm very cognizant of. Just because God uses an individual doesn't mean that individual really knows the Lord. Because sometimes people have the misconception that because God uses my life, then I'm good with God. No, you have to really make sure that you know him. That there is this personal relationship with him. And that's what the Lord is saying here. He's saying, you know, I, I know my sheep. I know your name. I know your, your, your nature. I, I know your, your needs. You know, I know that you have a, how, how you're, you're a little bit more quiet. You're a little bit more talkative. I, I, I know you. I mean, you know, this is the way that you're struggling with fear. I know you. I know what's going on in your body right now from head to toe into the deepest recesses of your heart. I know how much you're angry. I know how much you have unforgiveness within you. I know how you are confused. I know how you're struggling. I, I know you. I know everything you've gone through. I know the way you've been hurt. I know everything about you, God says. I know my sheep. I, 
I know their needs. I know their name. I know their nature. This is our shepherd. This is not, you know, the human pastor. This is Jesus who knows us that way. The interesting thing is, he says, I know them. They know me. Hopefully you guys know him more because the Bible says to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the more we know him, the stronger we're going to be. But then he goes on and says, it's kind of like the way I know my father. That's basically what he says there in verse 13, as the father knows me. He said, I know you, you know me as the father knows me. Even so, I know the father and I, I lay down my life for the sheep. So we're going to come back to that because that's really where it's at. But, but look at verse 16 and other sheep, Jesus says, I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, what this is in reference to right here is the way that God was not, he was going to save not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Now, there was a, a misconception in those days that the Gentiles were only created to fuel the fires of hell. Imagine that, how horrible that is. You know, the Jews, unfortunately, they got that misconception. But when you read the Old Testament, God had always said, hey, Jews, Gentiles, I've chosen the Jews so that through them we get the scriptures and through them we get the Messiah. And they are my chosen people. And God is still loving and there's this favor on Israel. But it was through Israel that God would reach the rest of the world. And this is what the Lord is saying right here. Now, you might remember as we've gone through this, and it's important, I think, to keep it in, in context, is that Matthew, he writes to the Jews, presenting Jesus as king. Mark writes to the Romans, presenting Jesus as servant. Luke writes to the Greeks, presenting Jesus as man. But John writes to who? The world, presenting Jesus as God. And that's what he's saying right here. It's the whole wide world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How many of you here, I'm curious, anyone here Jewish? No? Where's my brother, brother-in-law Larry? He's Jewish. Jewish people are special, and it's so cool when you meet a Jew born anew. They are beautiful, man. I encourage you to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And when you get a chance, we go to Israel, you go with us. But you guys are all Gentiles, man. Aren't you glad that God is willing to save the Gentiles? That's what he's saying right here. There's this unity. There's this one flock. You know, Ephesians 2, 11 through 13 says, Remember, therefore, that you once Gentiles in the flesh were called uncircumcision by what? is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you are without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so we now have one flock and one shepherd. How many, how many, how many churches of Christ are there? How many? One. So we got to make sure that we don't divide. Oh, you go over there and you go over there and that denomination. No, there's only one. And I like what John Corson said. He said, when I was pastor of Applegate Christian Fellowship, people would often ask what we were doing to unify the believers in Rogue Valley of Oregon. My answer was, we're already unified, but the believers don't get along. They would protest. They, they squabble. And John Corson said, so do my kids. 
But we don't have big rallies to remind ourselves that we're all Corsons. He said, so too, did I worry that some folks only worship with us three months and then they worship somewhere else? No. Did I chase them down when they weren't around my church any longer? No. I didn't chase them in. Why would I chase them down? The Lord is alive. He's the good shepherd and he has a big fold. He'll lead people to the corner of the pasture for however long they're supposed to be here or there or anywhere. And I think it is important for us to know, and we're going to read it later in John chapter 17, that the importance of the unity of the church. You know, for us even here in Calvary Chapel Almani, that our hearts would be knit together, that we would be united. But even with all the Christian churches, I pray we would know there's only one. Imagine the unity and beauty of the bride. I pray that we would see that. And I know God does. Look at verse 17. Therefore, he says, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself voluntarily. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Now, I'll be honest with you guys. I initially struggled with verse 17. Uh, It says the father loves me because I laid down my life. And I was like, wait a minute, time out, Lord. Didn't the father already love you? I mean, we talk about this always, right? There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. So at first I was kind of like, Lord, I don't, I don't really understand what this means, that he loves you because you lay down your life. But what we find is because of the new nature of Christ, remember, he was God without body, but then he was given the human nature, his added humanity, it, it makes it distinct. And so it's almost as if there was an added love. One person said it this way, it's as if the salvation of mankind had called forth a new relation of love between the Father and the Son. Let me ask you a question. How much did the Father love the Son before time began? I mean, imperfectly, infinitely. I mean, just amazing how God must have loved his Son. We love our sons. We love our children. Can you imagine how much God loved his son? But then when his son came and then the, the human nature was added to him and he just obeyed his father to the point of death. I mean, it almost, in one sense, between the Godhead, it deepened their love. And I don't know if we can necessarily make that happen, but I will say this, that there is something about people who lay down their life for Christ. Something special there. You know, Jesus here laid down his life voluntarily. It wasn't taken from him. And he had the power to end his life the moment he chose. You guys remember when he died, when I died for our sins on the cross? You guys remember what happened as he's there, you know, beaten uh, to the point of not even recognizing that it's a human being almost on that cross and scourged and humiliated and spit on and imagine the the experience of taking on all the sins of all mankind of absorbing the wrath of god eternal on that cross imagine that but he didn't he didn't die i mean most of us would have wanted to die but he didn't die yet because he wasn't done when he was done then when he said it it is finished and the greek is to tell us die and then the bible says he yielded up his spirit No one took it from him. The Romans didn't. The Jews didn't. 
No, he laid it down voluntarily. He could have called 12 legions of angels. He never did that. He laid it down voluntarily, and when he was done, he died. He yielded up his spirit, but it also says right here that he has such power that he raised himself up from the dead. This is your shepherd. Imagine how awesome your life will be if you follow him. That's all you got to do. But unfortunately, you know what happens in life? All we like sheep, what? Go astray. What are you doing over there? It's all brown. This is the green. This is, the, this is, the, this is where God wants you. None of us are going to be perfect. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about that. But you know when you're out of line. You come back. Because this is the one who, who loves us. You know, when you look at the resurrection of Jesus, it's interesting. All three members of the Trinity were involved in his resurrection. Galatians 1.1, it says it was the Father who raised him from the dead. Romans chapter 6, verse 10, it says it was the Spirit who raised him from the dead. But here, and in John chapter 2, verses 18 through 19, we see that it was Jesus who raised himself from the dead. And so when you're reading the Bible, you guys, it's a revelation of who God is. Wow, he's a pretty awesome shepherd. But it's also a revelation of who we are, that we're his sheep cared for by him. And our good, good shepherd, let me give you seven things. Number one, he lives for us. Number two, he stays with us. Number three, he protects us, which is a very cool thing. Number four, he cares for us. Number five, he knows us. Number six, he unites us. And then number seven, he redeems us. And that's what we read right here. I'm laying down my life. What for? To redeem you. There's a cross and the resurrection. It's the gospel. And when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're saved. Does anybody want to be part of that flock? I'm just curious. You guys are interested in that? Look what happened here as we close in verse 19. It says, Therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is raving mad. He's insane. Why do you listen to him? Others said, Well, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Of course not. And there was a division among them, even as there is a division today. They said that he was insane, that, that he's raving mad. And others said, no, listen to him. Look at the signs. This has to be the Messiah. You know, one is absolutely without substance. It's just an accusation. The other is intelligent, yielding to the revelation. There's no one like Jesus. He died, rose again, spoke the greatest words ever spoken, did the greatest wonders ever done. He fulfilled all these hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament. There is no doubt about it that this is the Savior of the world. But it just depends on who you're listening to. The the ironic thing is the very people who were against him believed the lie, and they were the ones under the influence of demons. They were the ones who were crazy. I mean, you've got to be crazy not to believe. In Jesus Christ, right? And so, you know, there's a division today. Um, One thing I will say this, because I know most of you here are Christians, but if you're not, 
a Christian, then today's the day of salvation. He loves you. He died for you. You place your faith in Jesus Christ and you'll be born again. I promise you. When you die, you'll go to heaven. Today, my wife and I, we were talking about this and we were praying and stuff. And it's so funny. I don't know if you guys ever go through this. Married couples, do you ever go through this where you're like, I think I'm going to go first. Do you guys ever do that? I think that sometimes spouses say that because they want their spouse to know cherish the time that they have with him i'm not sure but we were just praying together and i was just telling her you know uh let's pray this let's pray that that we would always be ready for to die that we would always be ready to die and that we would always be ready for my spouse to die think about that because that can happen none of us has tomorrow guaranteed and so what you want to make sure before that day comes you're right with God. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, it can happen to anybody, anytime. And that's why this is so important. Are you part of his flock? Is he your shepherd? Are you a sheep? Are you really born again? Do you really know the Lord? That's where it starts. And so there's a division. Some say yes, some say no. You have your free will. But let there not be a division in our heart. If you are a Christian, let there be no divided heart. We want to be totally, completely open to God. Lord, do whatever you want to do in my life because, Lord, I know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. You know, I was reading one story as we close uh, today about a, a physician. It was actually a surgeon named Dr. Evans Keith. And he was, uh, I guess, a surgeon in, in New York back in 1925 who practiced medicine for 37 years. And basically, he took part in an operation, performed many times. Uh, And what we find is that there was something he did that was novel for the first time in medical history. This is the individual that used what was called local anesthetic. And so, you know, local anesthetic is, you know, is something that was some of the other doctors they ascribed to. They said, yeah, that might work. But they were never really willing to try it because of the risk involved. And therein lay the problem. For this man, uh, Dr. Evans Keith, was brave enough to volunteer for the procedure. Consequently, what happened in February was unusual, not only because of the medical procedure for the first time, but because the patient was himself. The doctor became the patient, and he used the local anesthesia on himself the doctor became the patient in order that the patients would trust the doctor. And in one sense, that's what Jesus has done. He willingly laid down his life that we might find life. In one sense, the shepherd became the sheep so that the sheep would know the shepherd. You know, in the Old Testament, they would bring their sheep, remember? Uh, They would bring it for the sacrifice And it was interesting, the priests would carefully inspect and scrutinize it for any spot or any blemish. The interesting thing, it was not the worshiper who was judged, it was the lamb, it was the sacrifice that was judged. And that's the way it works for us. When one day we stand before God, although I do encourage you, be obedient, and that way you can have this awesome life, as far as salvation goes, he's not going to look at you. He's going to look at whether or not you're covered with the blood of Jesus. And so I pray 
that we would have this shepherd, this lamb in our heart.